Statues are erecting around the globe in our honor, and we thank we thank the Man Fan for that. But man, what a fun episode that was! Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good to turn another page in the show and move on to episode number four hundred right now. And man, I just gotta hand it to you at home. I don't think we've ever had that much interaction on an episode ever with uh, the people emailing and tweeting and things like that. Uh, we got more of their guilty pleasure lists than I think we've ever gotten of anything we've ever put out, out there on social media. So keep them coming. Yeah. Uh, for episode 300, we talked about our top 10 guilty pleasure movies, and it was quite quite a discussion but quite controversial apparently with the, <laughs> with the listener. But, man, that was really fun, guys. And, again, yeah. listeners, keep sending, sending us your lists. We, we'll retweet them, and it starts a discussion every single time. We post one or retweet one, so we love that. And if you if you haven't heard, if you um, haven't been on the feed for the past week, we put that out just last week that episode, and that'll that's been a fun time already. But will continue to be a fun time as we look on to 400, which I'm assuming will be top 10 guilty pleasure television shows, maybe or something like that. <laughs> just holding the pattern. Just, yeah. yeah, let's just keep uh, milking this idea for all it's worth, like Hollywood loves to do. But uh, nonetheless, good times tonight, and uh, good to see you guys tonight, Brian, Richard, both here yeah. in attendance. Did you guys have good fourth? Good, uh, good little holiday. It was a good holiday. Uh, I I don't know about you, but I listened to our Air Force One throwback episode <laughs> uh, six times. To I just the love America that much, mm-hmm. and I love you guys that much that I just wanted to hear your dulcet tones <laughs> when I was by myself at all. No, I worked a lot. Worked and did laundry and got stuff done and things like that. Mm, America. But uh, that's what America's yeah. all about, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I went I to six different that. parties, and uh, I played our I played Air Force One episode at all of them. <laughs> I was invited to none. I just showed up and uh, and made them listen for 55 minutes and then bailed. So. Oh, wow. Richard? Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. I worked mostly, and then I, I went to the, a pool for an hour or two. Uh, Good. So, not my pool. Just broke into a neighbor's <laughs> pool. Yeah. No. I managed and, uh, managed to get some barbecue, which is great. Oh, that's good. It was just a must for me. That's kind of my goal every fourth is get a barbecue of some kind. And I, I uh, made that happen. So. I, I BBQ'd a little bit the night before on the third and then had some people over. And then I kind of forgot about eating um, on the fourth. I didn't really think that through. So, I, I went to the pool for a while, like I said, and then I – the sun made me hungry, and then I realized I didn't really have anything. So I ended up on the saddest Fourth of July trip to Sonic because mm. I was like, I have to get a hot dog. Been there. So I got yeah. a Sonic hot dog and didn't even enjoy yeah. it. But even even less go. meat than a normal hot dog. Yeah, yeah. So still pretty good. So to catch up on things that happened over the holiday weekend, we had a couple of movies come out. 
one of which we'll be discussing tonight with our guest, and that is Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. But a few others came out of note that we should maybe just mention here on the show. First of all, movies from two weeks ago have fallen off significantly. Transformers had a 60% drop in the box office, and Cars 3, 60% drop. So Transformers pulled in $16 million over the holiday, and Cars 3, $9 million it pulled in its third week, I guess, technically, for, for Cars. But, so the new movies, Despicable Me 3, $72 million, and it's uh, in its first, I guess, official weekend on almost almost 5,000 screens. So is that that good? <laughs> 4,500 screens. Um, they made $72 million, which is fine. Good. Fine and good for them on an $80, $80 million budget. And I think I saw that it's made like 200-something yeah, worldwide. 240. Um, yeah. Baby Driver did pretty well. Yeah. $20 million. We should talk about that on an episode sometime. We should maybe do an episode should. on that. <laughs> but uh, second place, nonetheless, ahead of Transformers and Cars 3 and Wonder Woman. And the movie I wanted to mention here, mm. opening with a staggering $8.7 million, was uh, The House, the Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler movie. Mm. That uh, kind of came out of nowhere. I think I saw one trailer for this yeah. in a theater, and it was – when I saw, I don't know, The Circle or something just random that <laughs> Baywatch. Not a, it was whatever, yeah, Baywatch or so, whatever they could afford to advertise this in. And um, didn't get good, good response. <laughs> and uh, not surprisingly, opened in sixth place with $8.7 million. It's probably going to be at least half that next week and probably out of the theater the week after that. So mm. not a good, not a good outing for the old Will Ferrell. And Richard mentions this a lot that just now could be the time it happens to every comedian you yeah. just you just stop stop being as relevant as you once were and uh i guess is this officially it for for will i think he's got a lot left in him personally but maybe not this style of movie maybe he's gonna have to do more serious stuff from now on what do you guys think uh think of this or just a case of another stinker amy poehler too i would love to see her do more uh successful things and um, this was not it, but that's just sad. Anybody have a comment on the house? Yeah, well, I don't. Uh, R.I.P. the I, house already. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine with Will Ferrell. Um, you know, I think he has. I don't think he'll go into Chevy Chase land. I think he has a, a different gear he can go into. Um, I just it won't be these big kind of movies anymore. But I, I can we officially be done with with Brendan O'Brien and Andrew mm. Cohen? Like they are the worst comedic. Uh, there's no wit to anything yeah. they write. They 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 know how to do the setup, okay? Mm -hmm. They know how like, wouldn't this be funny if? And right. then and then there's no fault. I mean, they're just anytime I see them on a movie, I'm just immediately out now. Um, everything they do, it, I'm 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 in on con conceptually until I see sure. them behind it, and I'm immediately out. And yeah. uh, I don't know why. How they kind of are like Apatowian proteges, right? And that's. Uh, the rare miss by Judd in terms of finding talent because uh, they're at least as writers. I mean, uh, maybe they could go on to be interesting comedy directors or something, but th I find their writing to be so obvious and dull and yeah. lazy and boorish. Yeah, I I would agree with you. Like, write treatments and sell those, right? Like your concept. Yeah. This is this is a, not a terrible idea. 
when uh, we made our schedule months ago, this is what I had slated for this week was the house because it's just like, oh, okay, that sounds fine. And then Baby Driver moved into this spot because uh, they moved up from August, which was smart on their part, obviously. Um, but then also we saw trailers just like, oh, my gosh, no, 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 no. This doesn't look good at all. I, for Farrell, it is what it is because he's had such a long run and everything is fine. I, I think I think it may just be at the point. It may be done. It also could be that he has to realize that he's no longer able to just show up and be Will Farrell and uh, A, carry a movie, and B, get audiences to come that he's going to have to do. I think if he does more of the comedies where he does more character work, like Talladega Nights or even Step Brothers stuff, I think that can still work under the right circumstances, but this can't. Like the this the idea of like when he was on SNL where you could just say we don't really know what this sketch is going to be, so just have Will stumble in two minutes in and we'll just figure it out. And he can't he can't do that anymore. And maybe this is perfect, but I'm more bummed for for Polar. Yeah, because she won't get the chances. Exactly, you know. yeah. And we all love yeah. Polar, and this is um, – Sisters was really solid, and Universal opened it against Star Wars. Like, that's the stupidest. And so, <laughs> you know, how many how many chances is she going to get to to do this? Because that's not, not a strength of Hollywood in case – I don't know. Maybe we're breaking news there, but yeah. yeah. No, I think no. – yeah, I think Farrell – you know, McKay has adapted into, you know, a different kind mm-hmm. of thing. Sure. And, uh, I'd like to see Farrell do that. I'd like to see Farrell do that with McKay. Like I'd like to see, yeah, because um, I think Farrell has always set across as or made himself different to me, where he's where he's different than like a Mike Myers. Is mm-hmm. I think he's a pretty good actor, and not so much that he's a good actor, but he can kind of play uh, every American suburban white dude really well. Now sure. he does that often to comedic event effect, like here. But I think he could do that. In, in, in a more put upon kind of way, mm-hmm. um, in something a little more uh, dramatic and, and interesting. So yeah, 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 I, I, you know, there'll be another. I think if if he teams up with McKay, it's again, it's Farrell. Just it's that thing where like if if someone interesting is writing it, I'm not done with him. Mm-hmm. It's like Sandler, right? I mean, if it's a full Happy Madison joint, then I'm out. But if it's a that new Noah Baumbach movie with Ben Stiller and Dustin Hoffman, then I'm fine with Sandler in that. It's not really them it's just you're right you do kind of lose your comedic fastball a bit and you need to kind of develop a change up and uh you know i think Farrell has the skill to him to do that i just think the change up is not working with these two bone bonehead writers because they're the worst yeah he's got he's he's doing that holmes and watson movie with uh with john c Riley, but that's no longer directed by adam mckay so i don't know what that looks like all things considered so we'll see Man, we used to talk about, uh, you know, this happened to Mike Myers, you know, this happened to Jim Carrey, it's going to happen to Will Ferrell, or it might have already happened, and we're like, okay, well, who took over for Will Ferrell? We're like, oh, yeah, it's definitely the Apatow, the Jason Segels, the Seth Rogans, the Jonah Hills, Michael Sarah's right? Kind of the new age of comedic stars. And um, it's funny because those people have kind of already transitioned into that second phase. Like the Jonah Very Hills and Seth Rogans, they're already like, yeah, well, if I just want to do Aaron Sorkin movies and work with Scorsese, I can already do that. You know, they've already kind of set their career up for that. Well, I'm looking back at Will Ferrell, and I give him credit for having all these acting chops and stuff, but I guess is Everything Must Go kind of the only real slightly dramatic thing he's done, you know? And that's, uh, that's kind of a dark comedy. 
Stranger Than Stranger Fiction. Than Fiction. Yeah, he's he's yeah. kind of the comic character in that, isn't right. he, though? In yeah, no, ways. I mean, it's kind of on that. But it's kind on of the on cusp. that. That was 11 years ago, though, Stranger totally. Than Fiction. And I mean, all he's got coming out now is, is Holmes and Watson and, and Daddy's Home, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least, you know, Ben Stiller can go go do something with Wes Anderson and kind of put himself in that in that side. Like, Will Ferrell seems like he's really stuck in this Adam McKay or, or whatever uh, kind of rotation and can't hasn't really broken out of it, and it doesn't look like he is anytime soon. Maybe there's a director that needs to come out there and be like, you know what? You're a great actor. I'm going to show people that. You know? Mm-hmm. This just hasn't happened yet. Which is All right. It doesn't great. matter. I'm all in on Daddy's Home too because <laughs> the rest of the cast, it's Farrell, and then it's Wahlberg, and then it's Mel Gibson mm-hmm. as Wahlberg's dad, mm-hmm. and then it's John Cena as the stepdad to Wahlberg's kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no way it's bad. This one's uh, it looks even more DOA than it did before <laughs> the house, and John Lithgow. Yeah, John Lithgow. I'm all in on this. I'm John Lithgow. Who wrote oh, this? The trailer is coming out in against. I think yeah. it's coming out against uh, Star Wars, though, isn't it in December? Yeah, it is. No, it's, it's November. Is it okay. I have it. I have it. No, I've got a November 10th release date. I had a Christmas one, birthday. I think. <laughs> whenever the, I saw the trailer, uh, uh, Linda Cardellini. I'm yeah, in. Linda so Cardellini. Yeah, I'm How out there. Corey yeah. and Topanga forever. Don't you ever come between Corey and Topanga. Ever. <laughs> Never it's forget okay. it. It's okay. They came between themselves, apparently. <laughs> you take uh, that back, kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's well. the end of the podcast. We made it 300 and a half episodes. <laughs> yeah, I guess time will tell on Will Ferrell. But, uh, man, it's not looking good. We were just saying a few weeks ago that he needs something pretty strong pretty soon. And uh, I don't think it's a sequel that can help him to any of his previous films. I don't think <laughs> making The Other Guys 2 or Step Brothers 2 is going to do that much for him. Okay, but I'll and, see uh, it. Like, give it a chance. <laughs> oh, I would see it. I don't see anything. <laughs> I still haven't seen a lot of his stuff, believe it or not. I uh, I haven't seen uh, Get Hard. I didn't see Daddy's yeah. Home. I didn't see The House. Um, yeah, I guess I saw Zoolander 2. Mm. I forgot he was even involved with that. Out. That was bad. I was just giving Ben Stiller credit, but Ugh. forgot about that one. The campaign, that was rough. The internship yeah. was rough. Casa de mi padre, though, is the best. Probably the best Will Ferrell film. That one's hilarious, though, just because it's so, so self-aware Will Ferrell. Like, I'm just going to do a movie in Spanish. I really don't care, you know? I thought it was funny. It just, he did the whole thing as a bit, pretty much. Yeah. Um, That's, that's it, man. Again. Who's a who's like a maybe Coen Brothers? Coen Brothers, get something for Will Ferrell, yeah. some kind of dark or, comedy or something. You know, he could. I think there's a way in which he could transition into kind of the Bill Murray role of just. It doesn't really matter if I'm doing yeah. good movies or not. I just kind of carry this this Will Ferrellness around, um, and then maybe every once in a while I do like a Saint Vincent or something like that. But you know, he's I, officially cashing it in if. If he does Elf too, right? Like that's the last straw of his career. Like <laughs> yeah. when when Jim yeah. Carrey did Dumb and Dumber Two, you know, it's Gosh. like if I do Elf Two, pretty much my last resort as an actor. You know, my last check that you know you can cash for a big payday, man. So look, be on the lookout for that. I guess that's the sign. All right, so that's our kind of movie news weekly catch up, box office smackdown, <laughs> and uh, let's take a break. Welcome in our guest and discuss Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, what's up, ma'am fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter. Dot com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ziprecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. So we welcome in our guest now to the Mad About Movies podcast to discuss the newest Edgar Wright film. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest? Yeah, our guest tonight is uh, a fellow he, – he runs a podcast, a fellow One Read podcast uh, that uh, I've been listening to for a long time, and we connected over over our podcast. That's how all good friendships are made, and uh, so – The only uh, way, people. The only way. I don't even talk to you guys <laughs> except in this format. Uh, well, I go to restaurants sometimes and uh-huh. bar situations, social situations, and or work gatherings, and people are, start talking to me, and I'll say, oh, hold right. on. Do you have your own podcast? And they're like, "No, oh, man." And I'll be like, yeah. okay, "Okay, then please keep yeah. walking." Yeah, yeah. Stay, be- stay behind the velvet rope, please. Uh, yeah, I do did you just carry with you? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's an apparatus. It goes over yeah. the shoulders and then yeah. kind of around the waist. <laughs> so our guest tonight is from the Popcast, and his name is Knox McCoy. Welcome, Knox. Guys, thanks for having me. I'm what excited up? to be here. What's up? What's up? Knox McCoy from down Austin Way, playing for his daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Yeah. That's usually how I introduce myself. So yeah. I have to stack there and do that for me. Yeah. No problem. Remember when Musburger used to talk about yeah. Colt McCoy like that? Always. <laughs> Always. Down yeah. Austin His way. Daddy brought some some dirt from Texas. <laughs> yeah. Always. Now, Always. Knox, are you in fact the real Knox McCoy? Is that you? You got yeah, you know. the real McCoy. Hey, what I did there. Hey, oh. I don't, I've actually never heard that before, so this is like <laughs> a was, unique thing for me to process. I thought it was pretty original. I thought it was pretty original. Yeah. <laughs> pending. There, uh, there are a few questions I need to ask you before we can move mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Uh, with our review. Just kind of have the listener at home get to know you. 
and yeah. uh, your m- movie stylings. And I'm going to do that mm-hmm. with two questions. They're very simple okay. ones. They go like this. Have you seen MacGruber? Wow. Like, I got to be honest. I woke up today never <laughs> anticipating someone's going to ask me that question. <laughs> but I have. And, wow. I, and I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Pass test right. number Pass one. the first one. One, one for one. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, I went to the theater and saw it. Oh, the you're the you other one! Me, wow, you and me, Knox. You and me. Like one one guy was in there like for 15 minutes, and he either was disgusted or he was like, "I'm in the wrong movie." No, that was that was Richard. Richard actually walks out of every movie, even the ones even I like. The ones he likes, he just can't. That's good. He physically can't do it, so he walks sure. out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's amazing. Good. Well, you passed that test, and that's this one's the make or break. This one honestly could could floor you, and, and your um your opinions will probably mean nothing the rest of the show mm-hmm. if you don't pass. Okay. It. All right. Have you seen? Now you see me. One or two or both. I'll go ahead. Spoiler alert. I've seen both. Okay. Uh, <laughs> review. And what do what do we think? Yeah. You know. The first one I didn't mind. All right, I didn't we'll, mind we'll see so you later. Much. It's been great <laughs> to have you. Good Avignon. <laughs> where can we where can we find you online? Or well, I just... listen, I look. To, in, in fairness to me, I have a I have a uh, affinity for for Tiny Day Franco, ah, and anytime dude. I can see him, I'm like, well, I just want to spend a little time with you. The and so he factor. was there. So I mean, gosh, no you never think about the Franco factor. You don't, and you right. should. We didn't factor that in, especially the Franco f- when he's throwing cards. <laughs> See, now it's natural, it's natural nice born talent. Really yeah. Well, he's yeah. and he's really the fifth horseman, in my opinion. He's not even, <laughs> not even in the top four horsemen. Yeah, he's so, not. He's not I wouldn't say he's core horseman. People who don't like now you see me, just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's got to be you know number one, J. Daniel Atlas. You know, obviously, <laughs> number that's, two, he's, he's MJ. Like that's pretty inarguable. Like that guy put up. You know, he built the league. <laughs> number two is obviously Mark Ruffalo because he was in the Horseman the entire time. Yeah, spoiler alert. And, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And um, Isla Fisher for her mm-hmm. getting eaten by piranhas <laughs> multiple <laughs> times, apparently. And and um, Woody and for Woody getting out and both Woodies. Are, in both ways, yeah. Are, are, for their sexual harassment, mostly. Right. <laughs> are, are their constant sexual harassment is what I appreciate. Four and now five. Listen, so the, I would... the lesser Woody, that's where they lost me on the second one. <laughs> I was like, I'm in for some weird stuff, but this is much. This is <laughs> it much. turns out that neither the I nor the four horsemen have very strong HR departments. So Woody <laughs> is allowed to right. just kind of. Yeah. Kind of like Baylor. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, that was dark. Who's the Art Briles? Is Ruffalo the Art Briles? <laughs> yeah. Morgan Freeman's Art Briles. <laughs> oh, God. I'll just look the other way here. <laughs> boys will be boys. We'll be right back. <laughs> so, I I would say sixth best horseman is Franco. <laughs> counting, okay. to count but, he, two but he has a lot of heart. Which, you, did you say Lizzie Kaplan? Yeah. Where does Lizzie mm-hmm. fit? Okay. Lizzie doesn't she's, fit anywhere. She's, okay. she's, she's a negative horseman. <laughs> okay, so she's ahead of Franco. She's yeah. the only one. Okay. No, she's behind. Wow. Yeah, she's behind Franco. She's mm-hmm. the only one behind wow. Franco. And the, the, if I was to rank the horsemen, mm-hmm. but this has been uh, our weekly four horsemen talk. <laughs> but we were, it's like you the BCS show where they four horsemen. Where they re-rank them every time, like yeah. every Tuesday when they rank the BCS, we just come on and re-rank the horsemen. And, 
There's zero. There's zero. Nothing happened between the weeks. It's just yeah. We're evaluating Listen, where I they spell, are in the I culture. Spell a spin-off pod. Jay Daniel Atlas, <laughs> seventy-three weeks at number one. <laughs> I'm Casey Kasem. Goodbye. All right. Oh man. Okay. Well, it's good to have you, Knox. Uh, you said before you came on that you've been excited about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? A big Edgar Wright fan? Yeah, like not enough to where like I could tell you, you know, like his specific uh, filmography or like any like the specific camera flourishes he uses or something. But I just always like when he has a movie coming out. But I think the bigger context was like this felt like or smelled like it was going to be a trash summer. But I knew he would have something like interesting to say. So I thought if nothing else, if Transformers ends up failing us uh, shockingly. We at least know we'll have a baby driver that'll be good. Good point. Yeah, that's kind of what. No, happened. I mean, I I think Transformers was an overwhelming success uh, critically. <laughs> box office with this show made for. So I don't know episode. what you're talking about. Yeah, it was a success in the fact that we don't have to see any more of them. So we succeeded <laughs> in making them disappear forever. So, silver lining. Yeah, that is. That is. Um. Yeah, I'm the same way. Super excited every time I see a Edgar Wright movie on the horizon. We uh, we got teased with one a few years ago with Ant Man. I think we talked about that mm-hmm. at length multiple times. Well, that didn't work out. Uh, it didn't, nonetheless. Everyone moved on. I think at that point, when he had to deal with when Edgar had to deal with all that stuff at Marvel Studios, he's probably just like, mm-hmm. "Screw this! I'm making my passion project." Because uh, you know, Baby Driver was a movie he's been trying to get made for a while, or just never had the motivation to fully flesh it out and get it going. But, man, am I glad he did. This is a oh, super fun original idea and uh, was executed to the best of his ability. It was everything I expected out of an Edgar Wright movie. Um, did I expect everybody to go see it to understand it? No, I think it's more um, more for movie lovers, more for the art house crowd than it is for the general public, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But I think the general public will find something to like about it with the cast or with the music or something like that. But there's a lot of little stuff in here that makes this a great production and a great movie that I'm excited to talk about. But Yeah, and I, I think yeah. it feels like it stands in like really stark contrast to the soulless kind of corporate movies that we're seeing right now. So like I don't even know if – I mean, I loved it, obviously, but, like, I loved it a lot. Is that because it was so singularly great or because you're looking at, like, green screens with, with Tony <laughs> Hawk's like, right. yelling things? Yeah, like, I don't know, but I still love it, so it's fine. And I I don't know where these guys fall in it, but I think it, it really stands alone, I think, from this year. It, comparatively, yeah, it stands way better than what we've seen, but... And I could watch this behind any of the movies we've really liked in the past few years and probably be just as entertained. Um, but, Brian, where do you fall on this one? Yeah, this is uh, – General thoughts. I'll, I'll put it this way. I went and saw this twice. So I think the wow. only movies that I've seen in theaters in the last – at least since Cooper was born, I think really the only movies that I can think of that I've seen twice in a theater, especially in one weekend, was is the Star Wars movies. So – that puts it in a in a pretty selective category. Yeah, I went to see this Wednesday morning, like the first showing that was available, and uh, I loved it so much that I that told my wife about it, and we went with some friends on on Saturday night because I just was like, I, I I feel like I need to see this one again. I know there was this is a movie that I feel like you know Edgar Wright is no kind of known for 
um, little Easter eggs and bonuses and stuff like that, stuff that you can totally miss if you're not really paying attention or uh, if you're just you know wrapped up in other stuff. So it's like I kind of want to go back and get an even greater feel for it. So yeah, I, I, I love this. This is – I think quite easily my number one movie of the year at this point. And, uh, and yeah, look, it's, it's easy to Knox's point. Like when you, the last two or three weeks we've talked about transformers and what was before that? I don't even remember. It's just, it's just been kind of meh for the last few weeks. The mummy, uh, the mummy gracious, uh, at least since, <laughs> since wonder woman has, has been kind of, uh, not, not the most fun. And so it is easy to, to be like, well, the last five movies I saw included transformers and cars three and, despicable me three and crap like that and so this is uh this isn't oh yeah it's a tough tough summer guys uh (laughs) tough tough work having a kid let me tell you uh but look it's so that certainly didn't hurt the cause of like man this just feels refreshing but i think as even compared to like all the movies that we're gonna see that we have seen in the last two months and we'll see in the next couple of months and then compare those to the summer movies of the year before and the year before and the year before like this is just I feel like once a summer we get a movie that just feels like um, a break or a breath of fresh air or a difference, you know, a different tone to what we're used to. And I like the blockbuster movies, but after a while, especially with what we've been treated to the last couple of weeks, it starts to feel like, can we just get something a little bit different? And uh, and this is definitely this is definitely a little bit different. Um, so like I, I loved it. Um, it's Edgar Wright is is a filmmaker that I really respect. I don't. I'm not as big of a of a right fan, I think, as as some people are. Nothing. Uh, it's not a. I dislike him. It's just that I haven't I haven't been as as into his stuff as uh, as some other people seem to be. But this is, uh, man, this was so much fun and so incredibly well executed. And I just I walked out with our our, our friend Emily went to see it with us. She's been on the show a couple of times, and I said, um, it's really a bummer that. Michael Bay and Edgar Wright both get to call themselves filmmakers because that right. is a different thing than what I saw last week. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, dude, I really, I really loved it, and I'm, I'm excited to talk it out with you guys. Richard, what'd you think, man? Yeah, it was. Uh, I love Edgar Wright. I always, I'm with you, Brian, though, in that uh, I can't call myself an Edgar Wright super fan or even like fan uh because I always forget how much I like Edgar Wright until I'm in an Edgar Wright movie. Sure. And I'm always like, man, this is so awesome every time. And then I don't think about it again for 3 years. Um I don't know why I'm like that. Uh but and it's not that his films don't stick with me. It's just I kind of I'm never a pr- I and I actually enjoy the experience because I don't really overhype his movies as that we build up to them. Sure. And then I'm just like kind of excited then I go in and I'm always uh really I remember it being like Kind of, I went and saw. I think I saw the world's end with Kent, right? And I was just kind of like went to see it with some friends, wasn't that, and then loved it. You know, it was one of my favorite movies of that year. So like, it's just, uh, it's just, oh, oh, the way I experience him is is the best because I'm always, I'm always so excited. Um, this is a movie you're right, Ken. It definitely feels like a passion project. Definitely feels both smaller and bigger than than other things he's done. Um, and it's it's. Certainly, I think it's it's much more of, and I don't mean this as a criticism. I think it's more of a director's film than uh, it's more like along the lines of Scott Pilgrim than than something like Hot Fuzz, right? Which is more sure. of a scripted film, you know. Um, it's super stylized, it's super fun. Um, it's 
kind of pointless. You know, it's not really trying to prove it, which I don't mean in a bad way again. It's just kind of like, let's just go in here for two hours, live in this world, and get out. Um, but at the same time, being clever and smart and interesting the whole way through. And I don't know, you know, so, you know, there's been some criticism, and some of it fair. Um, you know, What's been the, the main the criticism? Wh- I've heard there has th- been, but I didn't know if it was any one. Well, I mean, it's got – uh, the criticism isn't out, crazy out. I mean, look, it's like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone likes the film. If there is criticism, it's the kind of the convenience of some of the music. I think that we're starting to have, because of Guardians and things like that, a little bit of pushback to um, using pop music to elicit emotions. Not that it's not an enjoyable experience, but it's kind of a, a magic trick for directors to do now. Uh, mm-hmm. To throw this out there as a dose of irony or a dose of uh, humor or whatever, and then kind of that does the joke for you where, um, you know, I don't really have to write the gag or the action scene if this movie does 60% of the work. I get that criticism, but this is done in such, you know, it's just like people that qu- criticize uh, violence in over violence in cinema are not wrong, but I'm sorry when tarantino does it it's mostly awesome so like i can <laughs> if it's done well like i can yeah, kind of get behind yeah. it so like uh th- this kind of falls under that with me i i'm with your thesis but i enjoyed the heck out of this so so uh yeah i don't know if it's my favorite of the year it's definitely up there i'd have to think about that more um i i, I wish i could have seen it again like brian did because i'd like to but uh but to kind of break it down more because i like to see things twice that are are really very good and and fast like this is but uh hope that'll come at a later time but yeah Kent. yeah i see this honestly a little less like guardians uh as a you know pop movie kind of an action movie with pop culture soundtrack rather than i see it as an actual musical as the actual music is part of the story and part of everything that happens case in point that opening scene with uh, the kind of tracking shot as he's walking around and all the graffiti has the lyrics of the song he's listening to and he's dancing around mm-hmm. and doing that whole thing. That felt like La La Land or it felt like a, a musical number sure. more than it felt like I was watching an action movie that just happened to have pop music playing to elicit emotion. So I felt like he did work the music into the story organically yeah, totally. and everything and it felt like it worked. I guess the one comparison I could make to Guardians would be the – um, all the tapes and everything that he had to remind him of his mom or something like that uh, was – we've seen that plot line used before, but I love the use of the iPod. I don't feel like enough people use their iPods anymore, and I love how he has multiple models of iPods and different <laughs> for different moods. He has different playlists on each one, and I still use my iPod, and people think I'm weird for it, but I think it's pretty cool to uh, have all your music you love actually on you and not in a server yep. somewhere. That's a pretty nice yeah. feeling to have that. Um, and Team iPod all day, man. I can't, yeah. I can't break away. I can't get done with. Oh, them. they're great, and it's just funny because the actual the iPod classics that you know, like the one he used in the movie, you know, they have so much storage on them, and Apple stopped making them because they're, they're just like, well, just buy iCloud space if you want, if you want that much storage now. And so those iPods are all going for a ton of money on eBay because the people that really want them couldn't. You know, and decided they wanted actually wanted one, couldn't buy them because Apple stopped making them. So, hold on to your iPod if you do have one. But I really like that. Um, there is so much that I love about the movie, but I think the main thing is just the preconception that Edgar Wright has with his movies, and you know, he probably writes a lot of even the cuts and things to the songs in the script. You know, mm-hmm. rather yeah, than tacking it on after the fact. 
uh, it really does feel like it's all one piece. Like you're mm-hmm. every single element of the movie, whether it's lighting, whether it's casting, whether it's uh, production design, whether it's the costumes, whether it's the music, whether it's the editing, it all feels like one production. It all feels together. It all feels like one vision. And uh, what a vision it was. I mean, I would really yeah. like to re- read the screenplay to this and just see kind of his process and, all right, this this bullet sh- shot's going to be synced up with this drum beat. You know, it's just Gosh, the amount so of layering cool. he has, yeah, in, in several of the scenes, it's just, it's incredible the synchronization that he has and, again, the vision to, to say and conceptually that, yeah, that's exactly how I had it is is pretty impressive. So I guess that's, that's overall what I'm most impressed with is just the the idea and the execution is something like I've never seen before. It reminds me, maybe the last time, and y'all are probably going to scoff at this, but Mad Max Fury Road, you know? Like, I sure. I, I just saw it, and I was like, I've never seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't, I mean, it might not be everybody's thing, but I can't knock the, you know, inspiration and the uh, the effort that it took to pull that off is truly mm-hmm. astounding, and I applaud that all day long, you know? If this, if Baby Driver got a Best Picture nominee, I would not be surprised or shocked or scoffed because, man, yeah. on every filmmaking level, it succeeded. And mm-hmm. I think it probably does have conveniences when it comes to the plot, but I think that he was just trying to make a great movie yeah, uh, rather than make the most convenient plot we've ever seen. You know, he was fo- focused on other things, you know? And yeah, and who who cares if it's a convenient – you know, I, that's, just, that's such an – I don't know. That argument frustrates me because, like, yes, it's a convenient – because it's a movie. It's two hours long. Everything has to be convenient for it to come together. I mean, you're in contrast the music cues in this – to freaking Suicide Squad or something like that, where you know, where it's just like, here comes sympathy for the devil for the four thousandth time, you know. I mean, like that's this is inspired filmmaking to me. I don't, I don't get it. Well, and I think a lot of these movies, especially the big, like the superhero movies, you feel like they've been found in the edit or in post. Sure. Yeah. And the like this one, like Baby Dry and Mad Max, same feeling. It's like this was a vision. This was laid out. This was pre-planned and thought out. This wasn't like, well, you know, just, we'll do some fire. And the desert and the storm and it'll it'll we'll figure it out. No, like th- that you could tell he woke up from a dream and like wrote that out and saw that and envisioned that. And I think that really stands out against all these other movies. It might be like similar to, to James Gunn in the conceptualizing of the movie, and mm-hmm. you know the fact that he was like, yeah, come and get your love was always going to be a big part of Guardians from the very first time I even thought about the movie, and it ended up being like that. So there were things. In that movie, that weren't so tacked on, but it reminds me of Tarantino. Like in, uh, mm-hmm, when, he yeah. had, when he did Pulp Fiction and said, man, I always had that scene in my head of John Travolta going to the house and Uma Thurman talking to him on the uh, PA system to uh, Son of a Preacher Man playing in the background. Like he said, <laughs> I don't know why, but I always had that exact thing in my head. And he put it in the movie, and sure enough, it worked. But there were elements like that that totally, mm-hmm. in Baby Driver, that feel like, passion project that's why i used that word earlier there are so many little gems to other movies and homages and things like that that you know edgar wright has just been dying to to make a car chase movie for years and to kind of get away Mm -hmm. from the cornetto trilogy that he'd been making and the studio systems like man i'm just gonna make my movie for me and if people don't Mm -hmm. like it fine but you could tell it has like a lot of his favorite songs in it and things like that and uh i really appreciated um the uh, kind of personality that he put into it. But, man, small things, like I said earlier, that got to me. Like, I I love, again, the editing, the music, but 
you know, small things like whenever Baby would have one earphone in, the music was only coming in through the right side of the sound system. Yes. Did you notice that? Gosh. It's so super cheesy. subtle, but it's such a cool little effect. And uh, that happens throughout the movie, you know, when, when the headphones come in and out, so does the sound. And that, that's a really, again, it's something that a director would notice or maybe us or people that see a lot of movies. Maybe you don't pay attention, but the, at least it's the attention to detail, the, the kind of the stuff that I picked up on in how this movie mm-hmm. was kind of put together. Uh, did you notice anything else like that that's kind of, wow, that was cool that Edgar Wright thought to uh, do that, Knox or Richard yeah. or anybody? You know, I was trying to think. My my, the I had one. I wrote down a note like my favorite uh, return or my favorite motif that they used that they didn't like wasn't super pronounced. And I liked um, when they did. Uh, I, I forget Baby's uh, foster father's name, mm-hmm. or the guy who played him. Mm-hmm. But um, he when he would put his hand to the speaker to feel the music. Yeah, like, he saw it. Cool. They didn't call attention to it. They just showed it. And then at the end, when he's lost his. And he's in the car riding uh, with Lily James. He puts his hands real subtly. I thought that's a clever, very restrained callback that would have mm-hmm. been blown out and bolded and given like a monologue in another movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that stuff was cool. I, he Edgar Wright's big on foreshadowing and stuff. If you go back, he he's one who's definitely worth if you if you like any of his movies, he's those movies are worth watching with his commentary because he has a mm. lot of great thoughts and stuff. And sometimes commentary is a, is a whipping and it just doesn't really, it doesn't matter. His, I think is, is a, an exception to that. Um, but even just the little things of like when the first shot of him with his foster dad, Joseph, uh, watching, you know, flipping through channels and stuff. And then how all that stuff comes back to play at some point mm-hmm. in his conversation and stuff. It gives his character, a little bit of there's just a little bit of nuance to it and it kind of gives you an insight into his kind of weird brain and stuff and the way that that plays out through the course of the movie and leads to a fun punchline with kevin spacey late you know towards the end of the, the film like that's that's fun it's i think the difference to me maybe between edgar wright and a lot of other very good filmmakers who have a vision and who bring it to screen is that tarantino is like this sometimes sometimes tarantino i feel like it it becomes like the vision overwhelms the actual making of the film. And some something I really like about about Edgar Wright is that he he never loses sight of the idea of having fun with this. Like these little mm. notes that come up, yeah, they're playing from the very beginning. And I think you can you can definitely see that whatever it may be, it doesn't seem anyway like it came about in the in the writing that this was a plan from the beginning. I'm gonna I'm gonna incorporate this and this is gonna be part of the character and stuff like that. But he still has a fun reveal with it, and that happens a lot throughout all of his films. But it, I think it was readily apparent in this one, and that was I don't know. Like I appreciate that he's made a very good movie that, and to your point, Kim, may really truly might get um, some some best picture or at least best best writing or screenwriting. Um, nominations and stuff and some attention but he also gosh this is just it's just a fun movie and that mm-hmm. I think it's it's nice to see somebody who can do both you know who can say like yeah this is a very very good film and it's going to be whatever high 90s on Rotten Tomatoes but also you're going to just be able to come out being like man that was a blast I had a great time watching that mm-hmm. yeah I think so too and I don't know if the name Baby Driver helped it much you know but I, I think it might have turned sure. people yeah. off. Like, um, 
I, I'm just trying to think what could have given this movie a better chance to do to do better because it was such a fun movie that everyone should probably go out and see, and it had great people in it. Maybe it's just the Despicable Me's are I, clouding people's minds or something. Or did this get its full potential out of what it could have gotten its first weekend with $20 million? I don't know. I if think it did fine, dude. Did fine. I, I think it did. It, it made $39 million over the over the weekend. Um, so, like, that's, I mean, the long weekend, anyway. That's, I can't imagine that they expect, I can't imagine Sony expected Edgar Wright to make more money on an opening mm. weekend with this. I don't know if they intended to hedge with, uh, like, we've got Ansel Elgort, we got Edgar Wright. That might not sell it, so we're going to have Don Draper, Frank Underwood, <laughs> and Jamie Foxx. And, I, and I, I, I guarantee a lot of people saw those three and thought, okay, I know them. I'll go see this movie. That seems interesting. And those same people might walk out and be like, what did I just watch? Sure. But I, I do think it probably got them in the theater. I mean, think about it this way, Kate. World's End made forty six million total. Scott Pilgrim forty seven. I'm not talking opening weekend. I mean in total. Hot Fuzz made eighty, so that's you know that's the bigger hit. But um, and Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead made thirty. So this is already by the end of next week, this will be his second highest grossing film. That's good. So I think that's what I, I don't know. I think they're thrilled. I mean, I saw today Sony's trying to talk him into a sequel. So I don't know that I need that, but. No. <laughs> Where do we fall on Baby, on Ansel Elgort, I guess his name is? He was one of the finalists for Han Solo, I think, at one point. Yeah. Um, he was fine in this. I don't know if, I don't know if I've seen him in anything else, but uh, I think Edgar Wright used him properly in this. I don't know if that's his acting style or how much he was playing a character or what, but um, I thought he was solid. And it, uh, he didn't really have to carry the movie when you have such strong actors in supporting roles and such strong characters uh, to play against, but I thought he was solid. Thought he uh, he did a good job. But I man, almost 90, 90 to ninety five percent of acting I think is on the director. You know, like if Tom mm -hmm. Hanks is bad in a movie, I don't put that on Tom Hanks. You know, I put yeah. that yeah. on I put that on the director, um, <laughs> who is usually so. Tom Hanks if he's bad. Right, <laughs> he is. And uh, so I thought he was fine. Any complaints with him? No. Yeah, my you know, note is I've got like, is he good? Right, that's what I don't know. I mean, he was good in this, but yeah. is he good overall? I don't, I don't know. But I thought, is he good? Was he good, or did he do like, was he mitigated a bit? Oh, he by... was acceptable. I don't think he was award worthy in this or anything like that. Sure, uh, but I thought well, well, Miles, I Miles Teller's incredible in Whiplash, but <laughs> sure. he's still Miles right. Teller, so that it remains right. to be seen on right. El Court. Yeah. You know, he could be awesome. He could be the. Yeah voice of our generation but uh <laughs> you, i always say you can't tell movie stars by their good movies you can tell them by their bad ones sure. if they still carry it and so you know this was too good to be able to tell i thought yeah. uh lily james was really good and i thought uh jamie fox was really good in this movie jamie fox was awesome who what jamie fox is just almost always awesome even he he's, he's he's a delight yeah, when Lily James it. was the one where I walked away, and I, I told my wife, I was like, I don't think she got a lot of, like, run, but she was really, really good in every single scene she had. She wasn't given any backstory, really wasn't much else besides, like, exterior yeah. motivation for Baby, but I felt like I was very captivated by all her scenes. Yeah, it seemed like her instruction was just go watch all the early Julia Roberts you can get your hands on, and then just come and do that. <laughs> It'll be fine. Right. 
and try to be vaguely southern. She's good. I mean, we, <laughs> we liked her. Yeah. We liked her in Cinderella. We all liked yeah, Cinderella more than we all thought we would. So she's sure. she she might be a good. Yeah, she's good. But again, to your point, Kent and Knox as well. It for for both of the the young leads, it really helps. You're in a really good position when you're just having to like. Just hang out in this room with Kevin Spacey and John Hamm and Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. Every, everything will be fine, you know. Just, just try to know your lines. It'll be okay. We'll do the rest, you know. Yeah, I think so. There was man, it was funny. I I think Edgar Wright used this a little bit to make fun of movie making, uh, in a way. Like you said, the little line that they use at the end of the movie. I think stop quoting Monsters Inc. to me or something like that. <laughs> People use those kinds of scenes with the uh, TVs and they callbacks, you know. Maybe it's a cliche at this point, but uh, it's one that I think works. Also, he kind of calls out the cliche of the pointer scene that I, I've i grown to hate on the show publicly. I hate pointer scenes where there's a chalkboard <laughs> and a guy with a pointer, like, here's what we're doing, guys. It's so convenient. But it in this, he does it, and then uh, I guess Baby's listening to the music the whole time, and then he he calls and says, Baby, did you hear any of that? And then Baby recites it word for word. It's a really cool moment. In yeah. the movie, it's got a character-building moment for Baby, but I love the kind of snark against pointer scenes. Like, they don't really mean anything, and that was one of the cooler pointer scenes I've seen in a while. But there were no sure. folders. Yeah. No folders in the movie. I know. Could've Sorry, sworn. Kent. No, no folders. scenes. There would have been a folder scene. No <laughs> uh, another cool little transition was, I think there's a transition from, like, a sunglasses to, like, the glass on the outside of a store and the cars driving mm-hmm. by at that moment. I really mm-hmm. liked that little those little touches that he has too, uh, in the edit. I really appreciate, um, what else we got? What else we got? Uh, let me ask this question. Yeah. I, do you like, because we've compared Edgar Wright to Tarantino a couple times here. And I feel like it's like, I walked out. I felt like that was, I couldn't put my finger on it, but it felt a little reservoir doggy. It felt, it feels mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction-y to me, just the color schemes, yeah. the, the use of the diner in and out, uh, the use of the kind of, gangster element to it the cars the really cool cars um but yeah it, it's reservoir dogs too i guess yeah but, it, but it's like i don't know yeah. if if it's because like you have this really defined aesthetic and like we don't get a lot of that anymore so anybody who does that i'm gonna automatically think of tarantino so sure. also i thought the way i think both of them have a knack for creating really super interesting uh minor characters with backstories I'm dying to know, but yeah. they never were really spell out. They did with John Hams a little bit, but even then, like, I, like they always leave you wanting a little more. And I think they're both super, super talented at that. Yeah, totally. That's a great, that's a great way to put. It. I'm always way more interested in Tarantino's side characters than I am in his lead characters. Oh, like all of the Hateful Eight, I thought I'd watch a standalone of that guy, of that yeah. guy, of Channing yeah. Tatum. Absolutely, yeah, that guy. Yeah, totally. yeah, I think so too. I. Man, I think Edgar Wright's kind of a combo of Tarantino and Matthew Vaughn, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matthew. Vaughn's I think they're all little, they're all up the same coaching tree. Sure. Anyway, Matthew sure. Vaughn's a little more to the extreme of the uh, mm-hmm. action scenes and violence. Edgar yeah. Wright's kind of got the uh, got the movie knowledge and kind of the uh, skill set of Tarantino, but he doesn't go all out like Edgar Wright does. Like I'm just gonna. I'm going to do a shootout in a church in slow motion like he did in Kingsman. You know, like he didn't go that far right. with it. Sure. But he obviously has those uh, those capabilities. So, wow. Yeah. Man, I really liked also how they used the relationship with, uh, I guess her name is Deborah. I wanted to call her Jonathan, but that's a cool 
funny moment <laughs> early in the movie. Uh, I guess with Deborah and Baby, how when they're I guess leaving a job, and they make him pull over at the the the, the diner, right? And now he has this huge debate in his self, you know, this internal debate of do I, you know, stick with my girl or do I stick with these people, you know, because they're the ones who are probably not going to kill me, you know. So he has to he has that huge scene where they're eating at the diner and he doesn't want her to get found out that they're together, you know. I, that was a really mm-hmm. cool tense moment and a great kind of circumstantial coming together of a bunch of different plot lines into one big scene and it worked really really well yeah and just, to, just to applaud his screenplay a little bit more i wanted to mm-hmm. with that uh mm-hmm. that old thing but it was a pretty tight yeah, i didn't i didn't see it coming either because normally yeah. i feel like I, you can anticipate those but then when they ended up in the diner, i thought oh okay wow this is neat i didn't i didn't see that uh sure. that coming to a head when he passes by it and he's like no i don't like that but that place sucks and then Jamie Foxx is like, pull over there or I'm going to blow your head off or something like that. Like what puts a gun to his head. Okay, yeah, we're going to eat here now. Uh, man, and it's weird seeing John Hamm as a villain in a way, you know, too. Yeah, I, I want to camp out there because this feels like season 10 of Mad Men when, Dra- when Don <laughs> Draper gets into coke, you know, and like I'd watch it. But I don't I don't know. If, I mean, if you guys had to point out like what was what was the part where you were – you felt the diciest about either the character, like the plot, or anything going on. What would it be? Because for me, it might be John Hamm. See, we at least Richard and I, we're we're Team Ham all the way. So that that was that might have been my favorite part of the movie, beyond just like the car chase and stuff. I I love John Hamm. I love seeing him on screen. It was fun seeing him do like really embrace the the darkness because that was mm-hmm. something that he super toyed with a lot on Mad Men and also I love his stubble who has who has stubble like that it's incredible his his beard game is unbelievable (laughs) but no it was it was I I love seeing him really kind of because I think that's something that he can do very well moving forward like that might be the next uh the next phase of his career is just Mm. playing really super dark villains because uh, I gosh he's I think he's really good at it I I enjoyed that a lot but I'm you know I'm super team ham and very biased in his favor pretty much all the time so well I don't think they did him any favors by making him kind of like a movie monster that refuses to die and always turns around <laughs> sure. like you turn around and he's standing right there but yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean I enjoy I enjoy anything that tries to flex a different muscle from him sure sure yeah I liked how this was a combination really of a heist movie and a car chase movie mm-hmm. and a romance yeah. and, and yeah. a rom-com yeah mm-hmm. it yeah. it reminded me of course drive is the most obvious comparison but what i like about it is that unlike hell or high water unlike uh the bank job or something like that or what's the one place beyond the pines right with mm-hmm. another gosling one um in those movies you see the bank robbery what I loved in this was you're just with Baby the whole time, right? Yeah. Sometimes the totally. camera has the bank in the background or something like that, or he'll look over at the bank, but they never really show the heists going down. It's always his anxiousness of sitting in the car waiting for it and his, kind of his thought process of while he's um, listening to whatever song of choice it is for that particular heist or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that. And I, I know it's – I don't know how much it's been mentioned, but I liked the – respect that he had for the condition that baby had right there is kind of the respect i don't know 
what was it tinnitus or something like that you know i've heard mm-hmm. there are people that actually struggle with that and said thank you for calling attention to that in a respectful way i've always wanted a hero in a movie that has my condition and now i do you know things like that i thought that was really cool for them to use kind of a real world mm-hmm. uh, somebody's struggling with the real world yeah thing and like using it to their advantage and not letting it yeah hold them back at all and what they want to do with their life you know i yeah, I can't wait till there's a movie about uh, a guy who has plantar fasciitis. That's when I'll finally, <laughs> finally have my hero, man. That's, that's the moment. Plantar man, yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. Take yeah. over the world. Yeah. Uh, that was cool. Um, and also how he uses, you know, the death of his mom. You know, obviously his his mom or a baby's mom died in a car wreck. Uh, and so that kind of, I don't know, spurs interest in cars or his need and wanting to help people drive safely places or I don't know, but um, how they also kind of flashback or callback to when bats ends up, uh, you know, biting it or Jamie Foxx mm-hmm. when he, I guess, uses that traumatic experience to kill somebody <laughs> else and get him out of a situation, which I thought I didn't see that coming at all. He no. spoke of something com- not coming. I didn't see that one. Then him going through that, you know, that's got to be his worst fear, right? He flashed back to it a number of times. His worst fear was ever experiencing the event that killed his mom again. And he willingly puts himself over that edge in order to save himself and other people. So I thought that was a cool, again, character-building moment, but uh, Mm -hmm. another, like, clap for your protagonist kind of a thing. And it Mm -hmm. was great. It was great. And, again, well thought out and uh, in the story the actual story it felt organic mm-hmm. yeah uh what else we got what else we got also in the end scene where they're all back at the diner and the kind of final hoorah happens in the diner uh the fact that the cops pull up and they walk in and say you got a key to the bathroom or something like that <laughs> i thought that was hilarious too because they're all wanted and everything and then uh john ham again like comes back from the dead or what was his deal there i don't really know but <laughs> I don't know, but I love that scene with the the Barry White and everything. Oh, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, the postal service lady stuff was good too, mm-hmm. and how she kind of vouches for Baby at the end. I, you know, the movie could have ended right, right there at that shootout, but then they kind of have this huge kind of epilogue at the end to talk about what happened to baby how he goes to jail and gets out and then Bo's still there waiting for him and all that uh that was kind of a cool way to end the movie rather than just end it on you know he gets out alive the end mm-hmm. you know to, to kind of see how his life goes after that is interesting and i and i like that too uh another sad moment for me though was him taking the guy to the nursing home for his yeah. foster mm-hmm. parent yeah. nursing home that was a really subtle good moment too yeah didn't expect to get uh super emotionally invested when i when i started the movie i didn't think this was going to be a movie that gave me the feelings and it did i was like that's really a that's it was very touching but b like way to go edgar wright and actors for making that scene work in this sort of action car chase heist movie that was way and with no dialogue that was way more emotionally impactful than I don't know, 90% of the movies that we see every year. I was I was shocked by that. That was a genius pull-off. And they had to really nail that because that was the real last opportunity for some mm-hmm. good emotion because obviously with the Lily James character, we knew there'd be something there. 
but that was some kind of uh, a, a little bit of a misdirect that really landed, and they did a did a good job executing that. Yeah. Uh, what musical moment did you guys like the most? I think I liked the "Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide" song a lot in this movie, just because it made so much sense with the actual lyrics of <laughs> yeah. the song. Nowhere to run to, baby. Nowhere to hide. I like that. It was a uh, came at the right moment and was effective, kind of, and to give us a little extra energy mm-hmm. there at the end. I thought the young MC bit was hilarious when he jumped. <laughs> that killed yes. me. That was yes, just same. So funny. Yeah, that was good. Bell bottoms is of course. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. I liked actually hear like like hearing his mom, but not hearing his mom. You know, because mm-hmm. they paid that. They teased it a while. Sure. And that's a hard thing to to pull off when you teased it, but I thought they did that well. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree too. Great soundtrack. I walked soundtrack. out, bought bought the record immediately. Mm. Really, gonna have to have that. Yep, yep. Great, yeah. great, great. I don't know. I might I might have to as well. And I like how also they show the name of the song in the movie on the iPod screen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what song was that? Well, it's fucking <laughs> iPod, you know. Oh, so <laughs> yeah. uh, what else we got? What else we got? Can we talk about Kevin Spacey for a second? Sure. How'd you, how did you guys feel about his performance? I thought he was fine in this, but I feel like I've seen him do this bit a couple different times. I don't think mm-hmm. it's him going, uh, you know, in any weird direction. I thought it was just him doing this, doing the normal Kevin Spacey thing. And that yeah, was it, was, it was a little like repressed Frank Underwood, which right. is a skill, probably. <laughs> I think probably this. His character was the one I had the biggest issue with of beginning of the movie. Um, I guess Doc, I think was his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, okay, this is the guy. He's got his ducks in a row. He's very careful. And then by the end, he's mm-hmm. kind of winging it and like, yeah. baby, I don't know. What do you want to do? When yeah. it feels like the character they established would have said, okay, we're definitely not doing this because you probably murdered a bunch of cops <laughs> and my gun runners. This is a yeah. bad idea. And then even. At the very end, when he's like, "I'm probably going to be fighting for my life. I'm just going to walk out in this parking garage with a with a souped up shotgun and hope for the <laughs> best." That I like. I, 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 so yeah. that's where you kind of want to suspend disbelief and give some leeway because you know, you know, certain things have to be tied up. But that did. That, I think that's the biggest character I saw the seams on a little more than the sure. others. I didn't yeah. love. So he, did, he did get kind of wheels off there down the stretch. Like things just, <laughs> things did. did not go according to plan, and he was just he was oh no, oh, what do we do now? I do like seeing Kevin Spacey do anything that's not Frank Underwood or voicing a cat in Nine Lives. <laughs> so it's like it's fun. It's fun to see him doing other stuff. Next, <laughs> his next movie is um, Billionaire Boys Club with Ansel Elgort in it, as well as Taron Egerton, Emma Roberts. Billy Lord, Judd Nelson, wow. oh wow, and Kevin Spacey. So that comes out later this year, maybe. Man, Judd Nelson, goodness, who knew? <laughs> you, you probably could have won some money off me tonight, guys. You could have <laughs> yeah. bet me is Judd Nelson still alive. I'd have said, mm, I don't think so. But <laughs> pretty sure he's been doing the con circuit for Breakfast okay. Club. Okay, I know there's, I've seen that. So he's his on nostrils that. are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, all right. Well, yeah, I thought Kevin Spacey was solid. I thought everybody yeah. was pretty solid in this movie, mm-hmm. but I think Lily James and Jamie Foxx stuck out. I was like, man, they brought it, or they were really eccentric. Uh, Lily James, 
she might be a star. Yeah, I agree. I didn't think so, think, think much of her after Cinderella. I was like, yeah, she was good, but she wasn't. She didn't blow me away, but she kind of blew me away in this. Yeah. Makes me makes me wish uh, she, she does um, some more stuff that we get to see this year mm-hmm. because she has potential. Okay. By the way, we're getting to the port part with like Ansel Elgort, Alden Ellenrick, and. <laughs> Taryn Egerton, where it's kind of like the new Duchovny. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, Dylan McDermott, Dermot Mulroney for a new generation. <laughs> like I gotta be honest, guys, I can't tell apart. I know yeah. one Han Solo. Taryn Egerton. Sure. Taryn think... Egerton is the Kingsman guy. <laughs> yeah, and I think okay, Dylan McDermott right. is Han Solo. I'm pretty sure. It's like, can we just get leave one and just streamline it? Like, do we need all three? I don't think we've we been do. talking about this for no, years, man. Richard, we... <laughs> did you just say it was? Uh, David Dylan Duchovny? Dur- <laughs> no, it's Dermot Mulroney. I was wrong. Dermot Mulroney is Dermot- Chewbacca. No, I thought that you. was Dylan McDermott. Mm. All right. Just All right. go play with your umbrellas, Ken. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's research it, reconvene. We'll figure it out next week. Okay, cool. Okay. It was definitely Mulroney, though. I thought it was McDermott, but they're, they're one and the same. We can figure that out. Okay. Uh, what do you guys have on, on Baby Driver? I got. I want to talk. If you want to talk a little more editing talk, we could do that. But all right, yeah, yeah. I love that opening scene, and then followed directly by the credit sequence was incredible. That's Mm -hmm. that's. If the movie ended right there, I think I'm walking out pretty high and mighty. Like that was that was pretty great. I thought so too. The bank robbery scene at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. great, great chase sequence, and then followed up with him walking down the street, and all the words on this on the street are are synced up to the the song and stuff like that. Yes, was that cute? Absolutely. Was it also very very talented? A lot of talent coming out. Absolutely. You know, that was a, that was a fun scene. They did a really good job fast without saying anything of showing us who Baby was as a character. Yeah. And that, that the scene at the beginning like you said the bank robbery scene where he spots the three red cars, you know, and then oh, lines man. all three of them up and they go under the overpass so cool. and changes. So cool. Like that was yeah. so awesome. You're like, "Man, this guy is the best driver. That's all you needed mm-hmm. to see to be like, this is the driver I want driving me out of any situation, right? Yeah. And that yeah. was awesome. I don't think I've ever seen that cool of a, like, a maybe a car chase moment or just, like, something that would throw everybody off, the authorities, everything, all in one thing. Yeah. That was so cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's – we love – we love Fast and Furious movies, ride or die for them all day, but – that those have become a completely different kind of car chase movie at this point because mm-hmm. that sort of thing the getting getting the uh getting the helicopter confused with the other red cars that would not happen in Fast and Furious 9 because they would just blow it up and turn it into a tank or something you know and i'd be like yes this is awesome but it's a different it's a different kind of uh of car chase move and i man it was it was fun seeing that yeah they looked like they shot a lot of this in camera too a lot of the mm-hmm. flipping of the actual cars was good, good stunts yeah. and everything. I think he said they only used a green screen one time, something like that. So it's pretty wow. impressive. Good stuff. Good stuff all the way around. Uh, sequel? I don't know. I don't know if this needs it. I don't. I, no. I definitely don't think it needs it. But would I see it? Probably. Would it be as good? Sure. Probably not. So mm-hmm. that's it. This I think if they center it around Spacey's nephew, I'm thinking about it. I'm interested. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was great. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. That, that was a lot of fun. 
Listen, I the probably the biggest laugh I got or the that uh that made me laugh the biggest was uh when when Ham and uh, Fox and Spacey when they discover baby's like tape mixtape thing and it's not like it's not an anger as much as what are like, you doing? Yeah, it's, this is weird. It's like just weird music. Because I thought the same thing. When whenever he's making the music, you're like, wow, this is really sentimental. He's like taking his memories and remixing. But also, I'm thinking this music sucks. You know, it's not even good music. But it's so like important to his character. Yeah. And like, so we understand him. But then to see that exposed, it was horrifying. Like on such a small level, it was great. I love that. Um, man. Where would you – where would I rank this this year? This is in the top couple. I mean, I think about Logan a lot still. I think about Get Out mm. as well. Get Out's the one I kept coming back to and thinking, is this better than Get Out? Yeah. I don't know. Culturally, yeah, for me, maybe not, but yeah. filmmaking-wise, I think so. I think yeah. Get Out is just it's so different. Mm-hmm. I would probably watch Baby Driver ten more times. I'll probably watch Get Out three more times ever you know yeah, i've yeah. seen get out twice oh. already but um it's like Shyamalan. it's like i don't once you see it and you and you know the end it's so much harder to go back this one i don't yeah. know if it is i think it's gonna be just as fun every single time it, same with Logan. there is part of baby driver that like i revere it more than i connect to it which isn't a negative but i'm just kind of in awe of it in a lot of ways so there's sure. there there's a lack of emotional connection not out of the fault of Edgar Wright, just because I'm I'm so amazed by like the, the choices he's making and the way he connects it. Yeah, sure. it's just so layered. There's just so much to kind of experience at first time. I'm kind of jealous of you, Brian, for seeing it again because <laughs> I think I'll I'll like it a lot more the second time because I'll I won't be trying to catch everything. You know, every sure. little yeah. trinket that he that he used on this movie and every little trick. Uh, the next times I see it, I'm really gonna absorb it more and maybe at the end of the year i'll have a better perspective on it but this one was solid very solid yeah um anybody have any other thoughts on this before i guess we'll hit grades on uh, baby driver i'm solid good good everyone mm. liked how the how it ended and all that yeah mm. yeah if i had one if i had one complaint about the movie I, it's that the best of the movie is the first 45 minutes so it kind yeah. it's not it's not anything against the rest of the film, but it does, you know, it, it trends downward as it goes, just because that first act, maybe two acts, is so strong that it's mm-hmm. it's hard to keep up with that. Yeah, yeah, I can uh, I can agree with that. So I'm going to grade this out at a a an A, solid A. Right. Uh, yeah, it's an it's an A plus for me. For me, it would be number one over Logan. I still haven't seen Get Out because I missed that episode, and so now I'm just way behind. But uh, but I will in the next next few weeks, so I'll be able to compare and contrast. But for me, it's number one of the mo- of the year at this point, and uh, I loved it. Second time was a lot of fun too. I, I highly recommend another viewing if you can get to it. Ricardo, I'll I'll give this. I'm gonna go with you, Ken. I'm gonna give this an, a solid A. What about you, Knox? Yeah, I'm gonna go solid A. If I walk away not sure if the main star like actually did anything against Logor, I, I can't <laughs> give it an A plus. But I, but it's a great, it's a super sturdy A. Did you say David Duchovny? David Mulroney. Duchovny, <laughs> oh, okay, You're I right. believe. I think yeah. David Mulroney, Dermot's brother. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh man, 
I, I kind of agree with you. This was, this was a solid A, and I'm not giving it an A+, plus just because I don't know if we're going to be talking about it come December. Because there mm-hmm. might be eight or ten movies that are just as good that haven't come out this year. If we're still talking about it, then I might have to bump it to A+. Plus. If it makes my top mm-hmm. five of the year list or something like that, it's an A+. Plus. But right now, it's a super solid A. And uh, we we got to make room for chips first. We got we we didn't get to chips yet, so that could really change. Right? (laughs) Man, I forget about a lot of. I always forget. It's probably the best Dax Shepard starring film. (laughs) Baby Driver is Dax (laughs) Shepard. Like how much more of an A plus? Yeah, that's a fair point. Infinity A plus? I think it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably the greatest movie of all time. What if uh, Baby Driver? A lot of Samsung product placement throughout the film. <laughs> <laughs> what if they had pulled a fast one they on? They gotta us? change the iPod and... to a Zune. Oh goodness! <laughs> wow, that's a. Now we're in a dystopia. Yeah, yeah. What if Baby was played by the cop? Hey, you guys just got punk. <laughs> All right, full circle. Full circle. Okay, we're moving on now, and we're going to hit Weekly Recommends. Boom. Weekly Recommends. I think we should let our guest give their Weekly Recommend first. So, Knox, go for it. Um, we're, talk- we're going across the board, right? Recommend anything you want, ever, pretty much. This is your chance. <laughs> you, if you want to build an audience, if you want the old man bump, on something you love and watch it grow in popularity due to our enormously loyal and fabulous listener base. Now is your time to recommend it. Here's the hard part. Like, well, no, I'm just going to go ahead and, I'm gonna go ahead and recommend it. I Low on Netflix. I'm watching it right now. Nice. And it's, I, I didn't think I'd like it. And I was ready to like not like it. But it's, it's salty enough and like ornery enough to be really interesting. I think Mark Maron's really funny. And I think the construct of like we're, we're putting on this uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling week. And I think what I'm interested in is they have a lot of disdain for Allison Bree's character, which I thought they would just champion and love her. But, like, they are continuously just putting her uh, through the racks on this show, and I'm really liking it so far. It's currently playing in my house, but I'm, yeah. I'm not the one watching it. Nice. Yeah, my, my wife is watching it, too. It's interesting. I haven't, mm-hmm. I've caught bits and pieces of it, but I haven't had a chance to see it or watch it. Uh, question, like other things with Mark Barron, do you just fast forward to the first 15 minutes or? <laughs> just by default? Like, oh, yeah. crap, I missed a lot. That is, that's weird. He just stares into the camera and talks about his cat <laughs> and, then, and then gets into really good dialogue after 15 no, minutes. Guys, that's the first whole season of Glow. Yeah. Yeah. It just tells you about some crazy guy at a stand-up gig he had over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was kind of mean to him. <laughs> I've got issues, man. I've got issues. I should. Got to give Netflix a lot of credit for greenlighting that, you know, and keeping it in there. Bold. Didn't he have a show that was literally his podcast called Marin? Yeah, Marin. On IFC. I haven't seen that still, but. I've uh, seen one episode of it. It was actually kind of interesting, but I I haven't gone back and watched it all. I like Mark Marin a lot. I think he's a really good interviewer, but sometimes it's a little. Hey, aren't we all? Aren't all podcasters indulgent? So I can't say we are, too. Yeah, that's true. No, he's really solid. I love his podcast. But, man, I have seen Glow. I've seen, like, three episodes so far. Really dig it. Really, really enjoy Allison Brie in it. Uh, Mark Maron is really solid in it. 
like Emmy award winning solid in it, and yeah. uh, he's yeah. great. But I'm interested to see where it goes. I love the soundtrack. I love the look of it. it reminds me of Freaks and Geeks a little bit, which I like. Yeah, yeah. just all the different characters and the kind of uh, the way it's, the story is told and everything. I, I it reminds me of that, and it's free on Netflix, so I can't complain about that. And it's Netflix, only 30 it's minutes. Like, right. the fact, I was ready for it to be an hour. I was like, oh, here we go. I'm going to put my work, <laughs> work boots on. I'm going to get through another <laughs> yeah. show. And I was super pleasantly surprised. Dude, I'm not even kidding, Knox. You just sold me on it with that. Yeah, that's yeah, like, that's, that's how a, I, that's these are decisions feature. I make in yeah. life. Yeah, that's a huge feature. I didn't know that till right now, and now I'm in. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's no, it's, it's such a selling point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Huge greatness. Point. Uh, okay. Good recommend. Well, I'm going to recommend something on Netflix as well. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but it's a uh, movie that they just released on there called Okja. With uh, it's the the guy who did Snowpiercer's follow up movie. Oh, okay. Cool. So this is kind of his debut on on demand television. I think it might have come out overseas, actually in theaters. But uh, it's on Netflix here. Bong Joon-ho is his name. Bong Joon-ho is his name. And he did also The Host, if you've ever seen that movie, which is kind of a monster, pretty well-done monster movie, as well as other things. But Snowpiercer was awesome. And I actually like Snowpiercer a lot more than I think about it. But uh, this is kind of a – it's got Tilda Swinton in it, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's a, it's def- Paul Dano is involved too. It's, it's definitely his style in uh, storytelling, but it's about kind of America's future, and they think they found a cure for hunger, like world hunger, because mm. they find this species of animal that can provide everything we're going to need, and that we can breed them and things like that. But um, one girl has like a really strong attachment to one of the animals, so it's got a lot of that kind of uh, satire involved, but really, really well executed, some great CGI, and it just made me question, like, if the only way I saw these movies was through Netflix, would I think of them to be as good as ones that I saw in the theater? And this really Mm -hmm. was kind of the first time that I was like, man, if this is the first time I've seen this, and I I really liked it, I don't know how much more I would have liked it in a theater, you know what I mean? So it... Mm -hmm. It, I think it's going to go there eventually, and eventually more studios are going to say, yeah, let's just put it on demand, like not even have to deal with the theater stuff. And this made me less scared for those days because I really enjoyed this on a small screen for the first time, and it was a strong movie. Yeah, Again, I see John CGA Ronson co-wrote it. I really like oh. John Ronson. I remember him writing about uh, meeting with this guy about a potential movie, so I suppose this is it. But, I think uh, you guys would cool. dig it. It's not really a horror movie. It's more – yeah. It's more along the lines of like Pete's Dragon, what that was, you know, yeah. kind of oh. with the, uh, with the animal and everything, and uh, it's got some smart, really smart kind of escape stuff in it, and I really liked it. So Okja, O K J A is how you spell it on Netflix. Check it out. You guys might like it. I also saw a new documentary on there that I almost recommended, but I'll say that for next week. That's uh, cool. Also really solid. So doing things right over there. It was a good. It was a good holiday weekend to be able to. Watch some new content and glow. I'll have to continue that. I'll I'll, I'll report back when I finish that. Uh, but Brian, what's your recommend? Uh, sorry, I started spontaneously crying when you mentioned Pete's Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, see Don't see Octa. Don't see Octa. Need a minute. Um, I'm gonna recommend a book. 
So I've been I've been slowly making my way through this, um, not because it's poorly written. Hopefully, I wouldn't recommend it if it was, but uh, just because it, it it's um, it's a little bit of a different read than what I typically do. Uh, but I read I finally finished Stephen King on writing, and it is the it's by Stephen King, shockingly, but it's the best. It is the best book I've ever read on um, like on the creative process and on writing and on just trying to make something. It's I think it's ostensibly written obviously for somebody who's trying to write fiction, um, but it I think it plays out. Uh, there's so much. There's a lot of wisdom at, to any creative endeavor I think, and so I'm trying really hard to. I used to write a lot, and that has been something that has um, kind of gone. Uh, to a, a bygone era at this point, and so I'm trying to refocus some of that and get back into that mold. And um, so this it helped a lot. It really kind of unlocked some some ideas and thoughts and whatnot. And so anyway, if you're out there, if you're a if you're a creative of of any sort, I would say this is say kind of a must read and something that may may help you kind of push past uh, writer's block or even worse like that like i don't know if i really even want to do this or if i'm good at it or anything like that i think it, it, it really pushed me to start to start working again so uh, i would definitely definitely recommend it if you're uh, if you're in the same boat as me good that's stuff incre- it's an incredible book yeah it's like i'm not i'm not the hugest stephen king fan as far as his you know his his novels go and stuff i've read i've read several and i've always been like oh yeah that was that's good that's fine but um, this was like a completely different sort of thing. It was, uh, it, I don't know. Somebody had recommended it to me as sort of how I just did of like, it's the most important book that I've ever read on that sort of, on that subject. And I kind of was like, okay, sure. And they were right. It's, it really, it, it's so, he, he, he wrote it in a, in a, such an accessible way. It's, it's really good. I, I, mm-hmm. I recommend it. Awesome. Richard. Yeah, I'm going to recommend a book as well. Um, I think it came out this year or last year, but it's called Hitmakers uh, by Derek Thompson, and it's uh, the stu- it's a kind of sociological nonfiction, kind of in like the Gladwell vein of like why things become popular slash viral, mm. why things catch on both scientifically and marketing wise. It's an interesting, uh, interesting book. It won a bunch of awards uh, recently and last year, I think. So Hitmakers by Derek Thompson, I, I recommend it. Awesome. Thought it would be a Hitmakers by Taylor Swift and Max Martin. <laughs> the truth behind their Grammy Award-winning collaborations. All right, that's next week. It's Hitmakers too. It's but it's Hitmakers the the story behind Florida Georgia Line. Mm. Um, because you know, <laughs> you know that's how I roll, boys. <laughs> you a song? You make me enter my windows now. Baby, you. A All song. right. All right. Uh, well, Knox, it's been great. And uh, if one wanted to listen to your podcast or find you yeah. online, where would we do that? Yeah, just uh, you know, go to iTunes, search Knox and Jamie, my uh, partner Jamie Golden. Uh, we do uh, a weekly show every Wednesday morning uh, that people can listen to. Or just go to knoxandjamie.com and uh, you can catch up with our list uh, of episodes. You can subscribe there. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, well, Brian, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter, which will be out next week. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter at or all other social media at uh, Richard Barden. You can find me on the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter, which will be out shortly. Uh, and uh, 
can't I'm, i've been looking for you all my life and where where can i find you dear boy you can find me online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com kit garrison on twitter instagram and snapchat and if you like what you hear leave us five stars on itunes shout out to wondery for helping this episode happen and until next week i believe we're talking spider-man maybe mm-hmm. planet yeah. of the apes as well the original planet of the apes Nice. Uh, until then, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Good morning. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, soft salads and scrambled eggs.